Let us turn now to words we'll find in the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 9, reading at verse 57, Luke's Gospel, chapter 9, verse 57. And it came to pass that as he went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And he said unto another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury their dead. But go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee. But let me first go bid them farewell, which are at my house, at home at my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plough, and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Here we have an account of three prospective disciples who were prevented from following Jesus for various reasons. And as he speaks to them, our Lord makes no attempt whatsoever to conceal the difficulties and the dangers and the privations to which prospective followers are exposed. He doesn't attempt to flatter or to deceive any one of them into a life of service. As uh, on every single occasion where he confronted people with the demands of discipleship. So he warns those three men to uh, count the cost of uh, discipleship. And uh, I would like very briefly tonight to consider with you these uh, three men as they come in contact with the Lord to consider the person who seems for some reason or another to have been attracted to a life of service, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And notice the um, challenge that the Lord addressed to this man. And then secondly, this man who seems to have been called to a certain and definite relationship with the Lord. And look at the way in which the Lord dealt with his excuse. And similarly with the third who was called to service, but who for some reason or other wanted to postpone the moment of service and see how seriously and solemnly the Lord addressed himself to that one. First of all then, this prospective follower. In Matthew's Gospel, 
we read that he was a scribe. We aren't told why he wanted to follow Jesus. It may have been for the benefit of companionship with Christ and those who were his followers. He seems to be a self-assertive kind of individual, a fellow who was rather impetuous and uh, impulsive, almost an enthusiast, perhaps even somewhat bold, if not, as we would call today, somewhat loud. He makes an unconditional offer of service. I will follow thee wherever you go. It didn't matter where the Lord went, but this man was prepared to follow him everywhere. And as I said, Matthew tells us that he was a scribe, that is, he belonged to the educated class of the Lord's day. The people who interpreted and who wrote down the Old Testament scriptures and who compiled so much of the rabbinical teachings of the day and who in transcribing the Old Testament scriptures tended to add things to what the scriptures said. Now as you know, our Lord did not have many sympathizers amongst the scribes and the Pharisees. Indeed, they were one of the class, the scribes, who were a party to the death ultimately of the Lord Jesus Christ. But this man seems to have been an exception. And there was something about Jesus that appealed to him. And he came with this unconditional offer of service. Now looking at the scene and looking at it at its face value, this was indeed a very encouraging sign for the Lord and for his cause. Those who were associated with Jesus would have considered this man to be a real catch for their small community. And they would have considered him a very important acquisition in the cause. He may have been considered even a convert with this bold assertion of his, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And if we could transport this into the modern setup in church circles, he would have been, his services would have been used, no doubt, very quickly to give his testimony, perhaps even at a congregational fellowship, but certainly at a youth fellowship. He was a man who had something to say and something to offer to the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I've no doubt that a lot of people made a great, would have made a great fuss about this kind of person. But as we follow the incident through, we see that Jesus recognized 
that there was something missing in this man's assertion, something missing in his makeup. He was, as someone put it, an idealist, an enthusiast. He was superficial and a, a man who didn't count the cost of discipleship. And this is the way in which someone put it very graphically. Here's a type of man, he says, who sees the soldiers on parade, the fine uniform, the glittering arms, and he's eager to join. But he forgets the exhausting marches that lie ahead. He, he, he forgets the bloody battles in which he's going to be involved. He forgets the graves, many of them unmarked. And therefore, he said, it is less cruel to disillusion such a man than to let him rush in and go down in disappointment. And so our Lord, recognizing that this fellow hadn't assessed the situation properly, very clearly brings before him the cost of discipleship in these graphic words, Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. So what is Jesus saying to this man? Well, he's bringing before him very clearly that the Christian life is a life of self-denial. A life in which the believer, the follower, the disciple must associate himself inseparably and inescapably with the Lord Jesus Christ in his sufferings and in his privations. He's telling this man, in short, if you really want companionship and fellowship, you remember that Christian companionship and Christian fellowship is not always the easy and the comfortable thing that you seem to think it is. And it is the life of privation. It is the life of loneliness. It is the life of difficulty. It is the life of exposure and emptiness that Jesus is here speaking about when he uses these words, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. He is speaking about the opposition to which he is exposed in the world. He's speaking about himself and he's drawing this comparison between himself and the animal world. And he's saying this. In the animal world, they have their comforts. I am deprived of them as I live in this world. And I think that he's also saying something very significant to this man. You, he says, want to serve me. And I think that this is really one of the great lessons that Jesus has in this verse here. You're wanting to serve me. 
But before you serve me, you've got to answer one question first. Have you given me a welcome into your home, into your life, and into your heart? And this is the disastrous assessment that some people make of Christianity and of discipleship. They seem to think that it is just a case of doing things for the Lord and in his name and in his cause. And that's why you have so many people hurrying and scurrying all over the place, engrossed and involved in a life which can be summed up in one word, service, doing things without asking first of all the most important question of all it is this before I take it upon myself to do anything for the Lord have I given the Lord a welcome into my heart and into my home and I think that that is one of the teachings that Jesus has here when he says what else does he mean when he says foxes have holes Birds of the air have nests. These people, these, these, these uh, species, these representatives of the animal world, they have their own habitat, their own comforts. But I, I don't have them. And it's reminding the disciple of this, that once he bids welcome to the Lord into his life, by the grace of God, once, as we heard here last Sabbath evening, once he, by his grace, opens the door of his heart to the Lord and begins to have fellowship and communion with Christ, he will discover very quickly that he has entered a life which is full of difficulty, a life in which he is going to be opposed and ridiculed. A life in which he is going to feel isolated and alone. Alone. And do you know that this was one of the great elements of Jesus' life while he was in this world? Remember the way the Old Testament prophet put it? Speaking of Jesus and his sufferings, he trod the winepress alone. Alone. And the Christian life is one in which you are going to feel very often alone for the simple reason that you are on the side of Christ. For the simple reason that you are one of his. Of necessity, you will be exposed and you will be isolated. And there's no getting away from it. We all want our comfort. We all want a life of ease. We all want a life in which there will be no difficulties and no hills to climb and no crosses to bear and no denials to make. Oh, no self-denials to make. Yes. We all want a life when it's going to be a bed of roses all the way from time to eternity, from grace to glory. That's what we want. And that's what this man no doubt had in his mind in following Christ. And this is what the Lord was exposing he was exposing the wrongness of his thinking, the wrongness of his assessment. And for the good of his own soul, he was drawing this to his attention. Look, he says, it's not going to be the easy life that you think it's going to be. It's going to be a life 
of difficulty. And you've got to recognize, he says, the implications of your choice. And so it is with me and with you here tonight. Even when you are constrained to say, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. Let us remember this, that we won't go very far to make this discovery that the Christian life isn't an easy one. We won't go very far till we are exposed to the reproach and the scorn and the laugh of the ungodly. We won't go very far till we discover that the disciple is not greater than his Lord. And if they have persecuted me, he says, they will also persecute you. We won't go very far till we discover this. That if there were few places and few hearts in the world that had welcomed him, it's the same in 1986. In other words, a disciple has got to stand up and be prepared to stand up and to count the cost. The second case here is very different. It seems to be one in which the, this man is called to a particular service. The Lord said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. Now the difficulty here for this man centered not so much on following Jesus as on following him at that very time. He says, let me first go and bury my father. Here was a man who wasn't exactly opposed to the idea of following Christ. The problem with him was when he would do it. It was a case of getting his priorities right. And all he wanted was time to make the decision. He wasn't against, as I said earlier, he wasn't against the idea. In the same way, I believe, as the majority, if not everyone in this church tonight, everyone isn't against the idea of becoming a Christian. I think that he or she is a person who is steeped in the grossest ignorance, who would deny the benefit that accrues to them through following Jesus Christ. And I know for a certainty, as I said earlier, and I'm sure I'm speaking for everybody in this church tonight, from the youngest, unfortunately, and I use the word advisedly, to the oldest, everyone here tonight would agree that it would be a very good thing for you to become a follower of Christ. You would agree with me, wouldn't you? I'm sure you would. But your problem is this. It's the problem of getting things into the right order. It's a case of when. Let me first. First. Now this man put it very interestingly. Let me, he says, first bury my father. Now there are some people who seem to think 
that here was a kind of situation where this man came across Jesus and he just had news of his father's death. And it is a very unfortunate time for him to think of following Jesus. And so he asks permission to go back to his father's funeral. Let me attend to my father's funeral, then I'll come. But that's a nonsense. It has no reference whatsoever to a man having received news of his father's death. This was a saying which was very common in those days and is common in the East to this day. Let me first bury my father. There's an interesting story told by one a traveler to the, to the East, to the Middle East. They were passing through the desert and uh, they came to a tent and uh, the guide there said to this fellow who was sitting outside the tent, how about uh, accompanying us? And uh, he, in other words, he was offering him a, a job as a guide. And the man said to him, let me first bury my father. And the comment was that the man's father was sitting beside him at the door of the tent, hale and hearty. There was no evidence that the man was approaching death. And then this man understood, the man who was a member of the party, understood that this was the way in which the saying was used. The elder son felt it, felt obliged to stay at home, looking after the affairs of the home, until his father passed on. And then, when, the affair, when his father's affairs were settled, he would feel himself free then to accept an offer of employment. And this is what the man is saying to the Lord here. I have commitments. I feel obligated to my father and to my family. And in accordance with the customs of our day, I would rather see myself meet these obligations before I follow you. I am not opposed to the idea of following you. But I have this prior duty I have this obligation in my life that I must attend to. When I have attended to it, then I will follow you. And you see now the significance of this. The man's problem was getting his priorities right, sorting them out. It wasn't a case of, he wasn't prepared to follow the Lord there and then. I will do it eventually. And so he was saying, well, perhaps even I would love to go, but I can't. I can't, not just now. And the Lord answers him and says, let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. Now anyone who knows anything at all about the teaching of Jesus will immediately recognize that Jesus is here in no way giving credence to the belief that he was indifferent to the relations that existed in, at family level. There was never a more dutiful son than the Lord Jesus Christ. And there never came a word from his lips that would encourage any son to adopt an indifferent attitude to his parents or to any other members of his family. You will never find Encouragement for that idea in any word that ever came from the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ. No man in the history of this world 
ever honored the family unit and the family tie more than the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, he is not saying to this man, he isn't saying to him that he should adopt a couldn't care less attitude to his parents or to his home. What the Lord is telling this man is this, and he's using language in which he clothes this idea. You, he says, get your priorities right. The most important thing in life for you is not a human relationship, no matter how important it may be, but your relationship to me. No, my friend, you cannot. If you, if you accept the teaching of the Bible at all, you cannot in any way deny that this is what the Lord is saying, not only here, but on other occasions. In other words, he's saying this to the husband. To a husband who's got the most loving and faithful relationship with his wife. He says this to every husband. Never let your wife come between you and me. He's saying it to the wife. Who is the most dutiful of all wives in a loving relationship with her husband? No matter how closely you are attached to your husband, never give him the place in your affections that you ought to give to me. He says it to the mother in connection with her, with her family that she's got to be careful that she doesn't allow her family to push him out. He says the same to the family, to the son and to the daughter. He says the same to you in all your human relationships. Never form a relationship that is going to come between you and the place that you ought to give to the Lord Jesus Christ. Never let any priority, never let any duty, no matter how legitimate it may be, no matter how laudable it may be, Never let any concern that you have in life come between you and the call to follow and to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the simple teaching that Jesus, I believe, addresses in these words to this man. You've got to get your priorities right. And this is another area that makes living the Christian life difficult. Oh yes. And Jesus is all along here illustrating the difficulty of it. Be sure that you don't become entangled with anything or with anyone that is going to be a hindrance to you in the exercise of following the Lord Jesus Christ. Let nothing prevent you from accepting the claims of Christ upon your life. Christ's call, as someone put it, is superior to the most, to the highest and the most beautiful of earth's obligations. Whatever conflict, conf whatever conflicts with the call of God, that call must be obeyed. And this is again where you and I learn the meaning of taking up the cross 
denying ourselves and following Christ. You see, you may have a legitimate first in your life tonight. First this. But I'm going to tell you something about the danger of putting things before Christ. And the danger is this. In the providence of God, you may be enabled to look after that thing first. And once you have met your obligation, have you noticed this? Something else will always replace that first. It's second tonight, but it'll become first then. And all your lifetime, you'll have something to do first. There are people in this church tonight who, if they would care to do it, could go back, I'm sure, over many years. And remember as young people in this church or in some other area, remember the claims of Christ upon them in the gospel. And they can well remember then the things that had priority in their life. First this. And here they are tonight. And they've never followed Christ. Why? Because that thing that was first then was always replaced by something else and something else and something else. And here you are, as I said earlier, all of you, I'm sure, hoping against hope, that before you leave this world, you will be a follower of Jesus. What holds you back from following him tonight? There's something else. There's a first thing in your life. What's the Lord saying to you? You have to relegate all things in my interest. You've got to put them to one side in my interest. All you say the difficult, I know. Don't you run away with the idea that it's going to be easy for you. No one in this life has ever found it easy to relegate things in the interests of Christ. If you remember this, that he is more than anyone else. He is more than anything else. And there has never been anyone in the history of the world who would dare say this but himself, seek first me, put me first. And then you will find that all these things will sort themselves out. We all know the difficulty of putting things to one side and giving Christ the priority. We all know the difficulty of putting duties perfectly legitimate duties to one side in the interests of Christ. We all know the opposition and the demands and the pressures that come. Oh yes, the pressures that come even from loved ones. And I'm sure you're here tonight as a Christian. And you know what that is. The pressure, the sheer pressure that comes to you from loved ones. And perhaps I wouldn't be surprised if there are people in this church now who know that maybe the greatest pressure in their life comes from loved ones as a result of following the Lord Jesus Christ. And that that can be the most trying and the most galling experience of life. The people whom you love most in the world and yet You've discovered this. 
Love them though you do. There's a higher love and a higher bond and a higher demand. That's the demands of the Lord in your life. And you'll also follow this, you'll also discover this for those people who seem to think that the Lord is here teaching people that to be in different human relationships. Far from it. The Lord himself by his grace has made this discovery in the lives of all his people. They never loved their loved ones more than they loved them in the Lord. And they've never loved them more than when they've had to put them to one side in the interests of the Lord Jesus Christ. I remember telling the story here already. And I don't know if I have it correctly. Remember it was Principal McIntosh I heard telling the story once in a Friday night communion service at Cossipus many years ago. And I didn't quite grasp it but I think it went like this. A young man who was called to the service of Christ in the foreign field. And he had a very, very godly mother, a widow. And she wasn't very happy about the prospect, the thought of her son going to the foreign field. But anyway, he went. And on a furlough, he was talking to his mother. She said this to him. You know, he said, I wasn't keen that you should follow the Lord. I didn't believe that that was God's will for you. But I acquiesced in his will and I've made this discovery, he said, since you went away in his service and in his name, my heart was closed to that service before you went. Now, as a result of you having gone in his name, I feel that my heart has been opened to the whole world for the Lord. And that's what comes through submitting and submerging your will, submitting it to him and submerging it in his, in his. Giving yourself to him in his interest. When the call and the demands come, in spite of all the difficulties that you have, and in spite of all the opposition, in spite of all that reason and sense may say to you, in spite of the fight that you may put up yourself, when you yield to him, you make this discovery. It isn't a case of losing what you are to give up. It's a case of gaining more than you ever gave up. No man, said the Lord, who is prepared to follow me, and who is prepared to endure all these hardships in this world, no man can do that without making this discovery. He will receive far more in this world than he ever gave up and in the world to come. Everlasting life. And the third and final picture I've here is this. The man who had great difficulty in being wholeheartedly involved in the service of God. Another said to him, here seems to be one who came with the offer again, a prospective disciple, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go and bid farewell to them who are at home in my house. And Jesus said unto him, no man having put his hand to the plough, and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now what the man here lacked, as Jesus says, was wholeheartedness. He lacked earnestness of spirit, or as we would call it today probably, he lacked commitment. Commitment. You see, there's a very important word here. In what this man says to Jesus, there was a 
but in his life. Yes, he says, let me follow the but. But. Let me go back first and bid farewell to them who are at home in my house. Now, those of you who are students of the Bible will remember that there's an incident in the Old Testament where a man was allowed to do this very thing that this man asked permission of Jesus to do. When Elisha was called to follow Elijah into the prophetic office, do you remember the first request he made? Let me go home. He went home to bid farewell to them who were at home. But the great difference between the two of them is this. Elisha, you see, was going home. He was going home as a man who was called and a man who was prepared to follow and to accept and to endure hardship, the hardship of office. There was no doubt at all about Elisha's commitment and about his wholeheartedness. He was called to service and he was in it. He was in it. But when Jesus speaks to this man, it is obvious that the man's heart wasn't in it. He says to him, if any man puts his hand to the plough and looks back, he's not fit for the kingdom of God. And Jesus here exposing again a lack in this man's commitment. There was something missing. He was going back. And uh, this is a very dangerous practice to engage in by any disciple. You see, what he's here saying is this. He said to this man, if you really are in earnest about the offer that you're making, you will go in one direction only. You will go forward and you will follow me. You see, there's no point. There's, a disciple can never be indecisive. He must never be indecisive. He must never be half-hearted. He can't have a foot in both camps. He can't be a Christian on the one hand and up to his neck in the world in commitment on the other. Of course he has to earn his... He has to, he has to seek his employment in the world. And he is to be the best employee in the world. You've got to be there. But you've got to be in it as a wholehearted Christian at the same time. There's no point being a Christian in Kenneth Street on a Sunday and being anything but a Christian outside on the street or at work or in school or in the office on Monday. This is what Jesus said. If you're going to be a Christian, he says, you must mean it. And you must be wholehearted about the claim that you make. And there must be nothing in your life that is going to detract you from that wholehearted service. There must be no looking back. That's what he means here. You see, the idea in the Old Testament times of the plough was a very small instrument. It wasn't a big thing that you and I know today. It was just a very small instrument. And if you had to plough a straight furrow, there was only one way you could do it. That was to keep your eye on the plough. Keep looking where you were going. In that direction. Otherwise, the field would end up in a mess. And the problem with many a Christian life tonight is this, so-called. Is that people are not dedicated enough to the life 
to which they are called. They are not wholehearted enough. They are not committed enough. And my friend, if, this is a, if there is a message here for you tonight, I pray that you may sit up and listen to it. You remember that the Christian life demands wholehearted service of you. And you've got to get rid of these buts in your life. You've got to get rid of the thing that's a but. Whatever it is that is keeping you from being wholehearted and committed in the service of Christ. Perhaps you're here tonight. And you're saying, well, I would have no objections at all to following the Lord Jesus. But I've got a problem at home. And I know what it's going to mean to me. Well, my friend, you've got to put the butt to one side in the interest of Christ. And you've got to grapple with the difficulty at home, whatever it is. There's a problem maybe with your fellows, the people at work. There's this terrible butt standing up in your life. Yes, I will follow the butt. Let me first, well, you've got to deal with it. You're not going to change them. If the Lord has changed you, you remember that you may be the means in his hand of changing them. If there is sin in your life that you find difficult to give up, there's no other way but to give it up. Whatever the but may be, the fear of going back may be, well, you've got to commit yourself to him. Because you remember this at the end of the day. This man's but became a no. Became a no. This man refused to follow him on his terms. He wanted to he wanted to do things his way. There was this but that he had to deal with and he wasn't prepared to deal with it. And that may be the case with some of you here tonight. There's a story told of you remember the prayer you've heard of Dobini, the the um, great Reformation historian when he was in a theological college, he used to go with his theological doubts and his religious problems to a very good, godly, experienced man. And after many visits to that man, to that uh, old Christian, Dobini was told by him, young man, he says, there is a great question that you have to deal with yourself. And the question is this, do you mean to belong all together to the Lord Jesus Christ? This is what Jesus is saying to him. Any man who's going to follow me must belong to me all together. Otherwise, there's no point, he says, in putting his hand to the plough. You're only playing it. That's what he's saying. The, fellow, the, 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 the farmer who's ploughing his field, if he puts his hand to the plough and he's looking all over the place and he's involved in this, that, the next thing, he gets entangled with this and with that. There's this obstacle and this difficulty in his life. He's not prepared to grapple with it. If he's looking at all these things at the same time as trying to be a follower of mine, he's going to make a mess of it all. That's not the way to do it. Commitment. Wholehearted involvement. Giving your all. And you're all together. 
to the Lord Jesus Christ. Well now, how many of us are prepared to meet these demands that were being placed upon us? How many of us are prepared to pay the cost? How many of us are determined to follow him, recognizing that it's going to be difficult, recognizing we're going to be exposed, recognizing we're going to suffer for his sake, recognizing we're going to be alone often because of him? How many? How many are prepared to serve him, relegating every other interest in his? How many? And how many prepared to serve him and keep on serving him in this wholehearted commitment of life, notwithstanding again the difficulties and the problems? This is the challenge that the gospel of Christ brings to the door of your heart and you. And you remember this, that no man ever, ever, no man ever followed the Lord or served the Lord without the Lord at the same time ministering to his needs and meeting his needs out of the fullness of his grace. Because though you are called to suffer, remember you are called to suffer with him. And you will then experience what Paul prayed for, that I might know the fellowship of the sufferings. Your fear may be that if you come, you'll be alone. In a sense you will. In the crowd you will. But you remember this. He is with you. He is with you to help you, to bless you, to strengthen you, and to sustain you. And is it not therefore worth relinquishing all these things in his interests? Let us pray. Have mercy upon us, O Lord, and bless to us thy word. Help us to honor thee in our lives. In all that we are called to do, in thy grace. Give us grace to respond to the glory of thy name, forgiving our sins, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen.